Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn back to Romans chapter 13. And uh, <clears throat> last week we uh, saw the great principles in Romans chapter thir- uh, 13 on uh, accountability and responsibility to our government. And week by week, we have learned and added to what we already have learned in the past uh, more concepts so we get a better perspective of of our relationship to our government. Romans chapter 13 is the great chapter that deals with uh, the aspect of uh, uh, submitting ourselves to a a higher authority and our accountability to it. Last week we uh, talked about some great principles and you found that even though we're talking about government that there's a lot of practical applications to your life and my life. Like last week we talked about the great concept in that passage that talked about being afraid. How that the breakdown uh, in our own country uh, of the fear of the consequences of doing something wrong. It's the fear of breaking man's laws within civil government. But then we talked about how that it's also the fear of breaking God's laws within the spiritual government, the church. Then we moved into the great issue of capital punishment and you know, one of the most controversial issues today that we all face. And now you should have a better understanding of the biblical principles that show that capital punishment is very clearly a Bible doctrine. It's taught back in the Old Testament uh, before the law when uh, in Genesis chapter 9, we saw in Numbers chapter 35 that once the law was established that it was a very clear teaching under the Old Testament. And then from Romans chapter 13, verse 4 last week, And then, again, I showed you Acts chapter 25, verse 11, that you find it during the church age. And you now, as a child of God, have a better perspective on it from God's God's word. And these things may not seem like they're important, but if you're going to deal with people and talk to people, or you're going to even teach the Bible to people, sometime or the other, these questions are going to come up. Because they're questions that we uh, have to deal in our own society, our own state, state of Kansas. Across this country, the issue of capital punishment is not going to go away. And the more and the farther our our country gets away from the Bible, uh, the farther God's people get away from the Bible, uh, we see these issues coming up. So we're going to pick it up today uh, in another another great uh, uh, thing you're all going to enjoy today. In fact, if I didn't know better, I would think that the weather had nothing to do with most of you coming today. Uh, you somehow found out what I was going to preach on today and didn't want to hear it. But uh, I know that's not true. But let me let's begin reading again in Romans chapter 13, uh, verses, uh, uh, well, we'll start here in verse 1. It says this, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, we talked about that word damnation, and we know that that doesn't mean dying and going to hell, but a physical damnation. In other words, if you break the law, there's going to be a penalty that you pay, and that is a damnation of your flesh, but not your soul. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be, be, uh, not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God, and this is where we were last week, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, of an avenger to execute wrath upon him 
of that do with evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. And you remember I talked about how that you don't just do right because of the fact that you know there's a consequence to it. But you'll also do right because you have a conscience. And when you understand what we've tried to lay out, and you should have this in your Bible, especially you people that are aspiring to be uh, leaders in the church, you have to understand these things. Because it shows us very clearly that, uh, you know, not only do you do it because there is a penalty for breaking a law, but there's also a conscience that we have to deal with. And that conscience is based on our, uh, our relationship with God. Once you realize what we have talked about, about our government, that how that uh, government is ordained of God. It's one of the three institutions that God has put together to keep civil uh, unrest from taking over. Well, one of them was the family, the other one was the church, and of course then we looked at civil government. And we realized that even though the governments may be bad, and all governments are, uh, and many governments are run by unsaved people. And I showed you examples down through history how that God still used those nations uh, to uh, get done what he wants to get done. I think we came to the conclusion last week that no matter whether the nation is of God or it's not, uh, the bottom line is that all things work toward the coming back of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. And God will use the nations that are even wicked nations to bring about that purpose. He also will take the church, and he will use the church to bring about, uh, from the other angle, uh, winning men and women to Christ to bring about uh, their salvation to establish his kingdom. Now, we're going to pick it up in verse 6 today, and verse 6 is where we're at, and it says this, For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear uh, to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now in verse 6, we come to the part in Romans chapter 13 (laughs) that deals with you and me paying taxes. And this is why I thought that, uh, you know, if people would have found out about this, you know, nobody wants to pay their taxes. And uh, the, uh, again, another great controversy and, uh, in Christianity and in the secular world. Now, you need to know this today, and I'm going to show you not only what the Bible says, and you know that we're not interested in what websites say. We're not interested in your opinion any more than my opinion or the last person you read or the last person you talked to. But it's important for you and for me, and I think you've seen this as we've come through the book of Romans, It's important for you and me to understand how these things have to work because we live in it. You're going to find in in America, uh, among Christian groups, you're going to find what is called a modern tax movement. And uh, you may not know anything about it yet, but if you grow up and you keep going and you get into the ministry at some point, you certainly will run into it at some point or the other. The modern tax movement is the idea that the Constitution of the United States makes no provision to pay taxes. Therefore, uh, Christians and many people that are in the secular part of the world, uh, they don't believe that they have to, and they take the position that because it's not clearly spelled out in the Constitution, that paying taxes is unconstitutional. And uh, you have that idea has been going around since the probably the late 70s and the early 80s and the early 90s. 
Uh, one of the men that, uh, that fostered this was a guy by the name of Greg Dixon. Greg Dixon was a pastor of a Baptist church back in the 70s and the 80s. He got caught up in the movement of the modern tax movement, and he literally spent, and you know, this is so true with many, many people, and it's something that you always want to keep in your own life as a balance. He got so focused on the taxes were unconstitutional that he forgot everything else he was doing. The ministry then suddenly from being a, what I teach you guys, being multidimensional, now became tunnel vision for him. And whatever he did, whatever he went, all he could preach, all he could say, and all that in, in just enveloped him was that paying taxes was unconstitutional. He probably in 10 or 15 years influenced hundreds, maybe thousands of, of churches, maybe thousands or tens of thousands of Christians. Wherever he would go, his focus would be, it's unconstitutional to pay your taxes. Pastors would have him in because they like he found some new great truth and you need and they and the people needed to know it. And Greg Dixon started out as a great, great, great uh, pastor who had a good church. And uh, the last I heard of him, he had another great ministry, but it was the prison ministry because they got him for not paying his income tax and he went to prison. And uh, it's one of those things where uh, that's where the modern tax movement ends. Then we have another kind of group of people that I've, I've had probably in my ministry of 35 plus years, four or five guys who have tried to do this. They try to get out of paying taxes because uh, they got the idea someplace. You see, as a church, we're tax exempt. I'm not as a pastor. I pay my taxes like everybody else. But as a church, we don't pay taxes. So somebody got the bright idea that he could call his family his church, <laughs> apply for a 501c, set himself up as the pastor of a church, his family, and then therefore be exempt from paying taxes. And every guy that I, I have dealt with over the years, and there's been about four or five guys, uh, none since I've been, we've been here back in my past, that I've worked with, every one of them, uh, when I got to them, the IRS had already gotten to them. And uh, you, you don't get away from the IRS. I mean, uh, you need to understand that, that uh, um, you don't. And then we have the third type. And we, and I, you know, I, I appreciate this guy giving me an example of what I needed today, but I don't appreciate the fact that he did what he did. But it represents the radical. Remember this guy this week that flew his plane in Austin, Texas, into the federal building down there in Austin, Texas? Well, uh, after he did that, and of course, first thing everybody thinks about is a terrorist attack. And this wasn't a terrorist attack. This was just a plain old nut job attack. <laughs> what happened was, is simply this, is that after he did it, they found, uh, what, 10 pages on his internet that his whole gripe was with the IRS. And here's a guy that not only got fed up paying the taxes, that he wanted to show them, so he gets a plane, fills it up with gas, puts a crazy little note on the internet, and then rams his plane into the federal building simply to uh, prove the point that uh, he doesn't want to pay. And he rambled and rambled and rambled and rambled and rambled about the paying of taxes and how that, uh, you know, that it was unfair and the government was this. And you know what? And I agree with what most of he said, but I don't take that radical position where I'm about to ram my 
I don't have an airplane. I guess I'd have to do my Ford Ranger into, a, into an IRS building or any other building for that matter. But my point is simply this. And uh, we have got to a point where we have to understand about paying taxes. Now, I pay taxes. And I don't like it any more than the guy that ran his plane into the deal. And I don't like it any more than, than, than you do. I please, I complain about it just like everybody else. I think the tax system is totally unfair. I think that it's totally corrupt. I think the laws that they have and the statutes of filing it are totally confusing. And I think that, uh, you know, like everything else in the government, it's, uh, it takes away from anything that we want to do and it's all corrupt and the whole thing is broken down. But I want you to understand, I pay taxes as a Bible believer, even though I think the system is stupid and I think it's corrupt. And I hope by the time we're done today, you get a better understanding of why uh, I do what I do and why you should do what you do. I know people that talk about the fact that they think about, well, if I didn't have to pay 35% taxes, which I think is the going rate, uh, if I didn't have to pay taxes, you know, look at all the money I'd have and I could have a better life and do this and do that. Well, first of all, uh, I pay my taxes fully knowing that whatever taxes I pay, really have nothing to do with my survival and my income. You know why that is? Because of a principle in the Bible, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, that says, in spite of me paying taxes, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't use that as an excuse. I realize that uh, no matter what I do or what I have to pay or what I do, that has nothing to do with uh, if I'm going to eat tomorrow. When I got saved, and this is a point you need to understand. When you got saved, from that point on, you were God's property. And God is going to take care of everything that you need. Now, we as Christians need to divide out our need from our wants. And we would say, well, God's not giving me what I need. No, maybe God is not giving you what you want. But God will always meet your needs. So when I look at paying taxes or I look at, at anything else, a lot of times people uh, don't, won't give to a church or that are members of a church and they don't tithe. And they simply say to themselves in their mind, and I understand where they're coming from, and I realize there's a process of growing. But they'll say to themselves, this will be their fundamental deal. If I do that, then I won't be able to meet the bills or won't be able to do this. And of course, again, I'm just telling you, anything that you're required to give or anything that God asks you to do, uh, once you become his child, he is going to supply all of your need. I've never seen a child of God starve to death, and I've never seen a child of God go without what God had for him to have. Now, it may not be what we think we ought to have, and I've got to make that point. But I'm, I'm, I'm the persuasion that paying taxes or whatever I'm to do has absolutely nothing to do with me having what I need because all of that comes from God. I also believe that people, they get caught up in this modern tax movement, and you're going to run into it sooner or later. You're going to find some Christian, and maybe you won't know it at a time, but you're going to find some Christian that, uh, that refuses to pay taxes. And I've met them, you know, over the years, and I've met people who have gotten out of the tax system uh, many, many, many years ago, and maybe they, haven't, they think because they haven't got caught yet that, uh, that they're not going to get caught. We had a young man in our church, uh, 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 in my ministry a while back, that, that uh, you know what, and I could never figure all this out, what was going on. He seemed like a good kid, and I could just never figure the thing out. And, you know, after they left about, uh, you know, six or seven months, you know, I got a call from the, 
you know, scared fire out of me. I got a call from the F, what I thought was the FBI with the Fed guys, and they wanted to come down and talk. And so they came over and they talked, and they, and they were asking about this guy. And they wanted to know uh, who he worked for and what he did, who he did it for. And, uh, and in the process of time, uh, showed me that, it, that this guy hadn't paid taxes for like eight or nine years. And, uh, and the bottom line is, you don't get away from it with it. Sooner or later, they will track you down. And uh, when, you, when they do track you down, you won't be able to say it's unconstitutional. You won't be able to say, well, it's unfair and it's corrupt. Hey, you think I like the fact that the guy they put in front of the IRS was a guy that didn't pay his taxes? And he didn't pay his taxes and got found about it? Everybody just said, oops, you try that. You know what the state of Kansas is saying? If you got an income tax check back from the state of Kansas, I know they did it last year, and they're talking about doing it this year, and Missouri will probably follow suit. You know what? They're going to delay giving you their tax refund. They don't have any money. So they're going to tell you to wait four months, five months, three months, two months, and then they're going to get your refund check to you. If you wrote them a nice letter and said, I'm having struggles, I will send you my tax money in two months, three months, four months after the deadline, see how that fits. It won't fit. Uh, they will be intolerant with you, but they want you to be tolerant with them. Hey, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But I'm telling you that people get caught up in these things because they don't know their Bible. They don't understand the very things that I'm, I'm talking to you about. Somebody may say, well, Romans chapter 13 is not as exciting as talking about the Antichrist or talking about this or that. To me... It's just as exciting because I can't separate one piece of the Bible from another and say this is and this isn't. To me, it's the fundamental backbone of what we live every day. And if you're really going to get involved with people, and you're at some point and you start dealing with people, it'll only be a matter of time before you bump into something like this. Let me tell you a story. The most dangerous thing to this world, and I've told you this before, the most dangerous thing to this world is a Christian who really knows his Bible. But the most dangerous thing to Bible Christianity is a Christian who doesn't know his Bible because they get caught up in everything in the world. I'm going to tell you a story. Back in the 80s, there was a young man by the name of John Todd. John Todd showed up in a Baptist church in Indiana, came to a Sunday night service, came forward in the service, and confessed to everybody in the service that he was a, a, a witch that had been part of a, a, a national group of satanic people who were plotting the overthrow of the United States of America. Well, he stood up in front of this whole church and said, I need to confess this and I need you to help me. And immediately the church was drawn to him. Johnny John Todd began to spin the web even more in the coming weeks and the coming months. He began to talk about how that the system, uh, this uh, satanic system, was in, entailed in everything in our country. He began to talk about the fact that, that uh, people who were in high places were really part of this satanic organization. He talked about the quickly coming collapse totally of the United States. He talked about that everybody, and he named names and talked about how everybody in the government who was anybody was secretly part of this organization. He talked about the fact that they were going to take away all of their guns 
And so he encouraged all these churches to go out and buy guns. He said there was a coming famine and food was going to be rationed. So everybody went out and bought food. This went from church to church to church to church to church. I mean, I've known pastors that suddenly were having this guy in and, and they had it. Instead of having Bible conferences, they were holding survival conferences. And everything that went on, John talked a little bit more and gave him a little bit more information. And one of them, he was going to reveal that he knew who the Antichrist really was. Oh, that got everybody's attention. And at the end of the day, Jimmy Carter was president then. At the end of the day, to the gasp of everybody, he confided and told them based on his his deep involvement in this satanic organization that was throughout our government and throughout our country that he was part of and that he was partly to spurting information, he revealed to all these Baptist churches that the Antichrist was Jimmy Carter. Now, anybody who knows their Bible would know that the Antichrist may be a lot of things, but he's not going to be a peanut farmer from Georgia. And it was found out in time that Johnny Todd was a fraud. Dr. Ruckman back there uh, put out a tape, and Dr. Ruckman exposed him uh, before he ever got off the ground. And I think his tape is probably still in his website back there. And the name of the tape was, and he always puts a little funny twist to it, The Wanderings of Johnny Todd. And he laid that thing out in such a way that, uh, uh, but anybody, my point is that anybody with a Bible, anybody with a Bible could have figured this thing out way beyond, way before it happened. Did you ever wonder why, did you ever wonder why you got guys like, uh, you know, Oral Roberts? Now, he just died a little while ago. You got this guy by the name of Tillman. You got Joe Olstein. You've had, before them, you had T.T. Uh, T. Oswald down in Oklahoma and Catherine Kuhlman in the 50s and the 60s. Do you realize how much money it takes to put on a, a television program on primetime TV on a major network? Do you realize how much it costs for guys like Jimmy Swaggart or Oral Roberts or, or Tillman or Joe Olstein to pay for television time? You think it just, you know, you know how many millions of dollars it takes? Do you not realize that what keeps them on the air time after time and sometimes two or three spots a week is people believe in what they do and send them money. Now, they're no different than old Johnny Todd back there. They just come at it from a different angle. I want to tell you something. The most gullible people on this planet, the most gullible people on this planet are people who, who do not understand the Bible. Nothing shows the shallowness of a church, a pastor, or Christians more than when they get made a fool of by somebody out there either religiously or somebody like Johnny Todd. And they're always out there. Hey, I get four or five people send me stuff every week on the, e- e- on the e- internet. And I love it. Because I like to keep abreast of it. And I don't have time to mess with it. And I don't have time to look for it. People find it. People send it to me. And I get a chuckle out of it. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's, it's not. Cleon, you sent me that thing on. Uh, that was an incredible thing. The State of the Union dress. But that got incredible thing. Everybody in this church had to hear that. It was an incredible thing that he sent me. But then I get something else about alien Martians destroying babies in Roman Catholic convents. You know, I mean, it's, a, it, 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 it's weird stuff wherever you go. 
And you can hear whatever you want to hear today. And that's why you have to come to the point that you realize, you have to realize that you have to have a perspective. You have to know these things. You have to understand these things. Because there's a million Johnny Todd's out there looking to fleece everybody. And there's a million people out there trying to get what you have and get your support. And uh, I'll tell you what, nobody on this planet is more gullible than God's people without a Bible. And this is why I tell you time and time again, and I keep it before you all the time, you have to learn the biblical principles. If there's anything that Romans does, it breaks down almost systematic for you and shows you God's perspective. We just happen to be in chapter 13 that deals with your understanding of the civil government. And, but it's an incredible thing. And uh, nobody on earth is more dependent on good leadership than God's people. It's just that simple. And uh, in the Old Testament, you saw it was true. God had to send them Moses and Aaron uh, in the early part. Once the kingdom of Israel got established, God sent them the kings of Israel. And did you ever notice how that Israel's spiritual condition goes up and down based on the leadership? When you give them a good king like David, they're up. When you give them a bad king like Ahab, they're down. You know why that is? Because God's people have always been and always will be dependent on good, solid, biblical leadership to keep them on track. That's why God gave the concept of the church. My job as a pastor is not just to teach you the things about the Bible that, you'll, that, that are the exciting things. You need to understand, as Paul said, the whole counsel of God. You need to understand, especially in the day and age that we're living in, what you're up against out there in the world. And you know what? Finding a church, a good church, is just as important in my mind as finding the right spouse. You hear me say it all the time. You marry the wrong lady or the wrong gal, and you may just kiss your whole millennial inheritance away. But at the same time, you get in the wrong church, or you find the wrong church, or you get into a place that will not teach you the Bible, and you might as well kiss away everything that God has for you. Because we as God's people are dependent on, on the leadership that God provides for us. And I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you right now how to always spot an honest church. How you'll always spot an honest church. You'll find an honest church because whoever the pastor is will always be painting himself into a small corner. How does he do that? He does that by teaching Bible truth. He does that by arming the men and the women in his church that they have the same information that he has. In other words, he builds them to know the Bible as good as he does or if not better. And when a man does that, he does that for one purpose, and that is the fact that, one, he wants you to have the Bible and believe that you ought to be on an equal par, that you can know the Bible as good as anybody, but at the same time, he builds his own self into accountability. I guarantee you, I could never get up in this church and teach bad Bible or doctrine that's bad or heresy without... 50 of you guys and gals nailing me with it. You know why? Because I painted myself into that small corner. You have to have an accountability as a pastor. And when you don't teach your people the Bible, you know what you do? Then you don't have any accountability and you can teach whatever you want. And people don't know the difference. You see, I don't care what a man believes. I deal with people all the time. People ask me questions. People come in and talk with me. I get a bad rap a lot of times because uh, people think that I'm so dogmatic and I only think one way. That's not true. I am the most open-minded person you ever met in your life. I don't form any opinions, so after I hear what a person has to say. But this is what I operate on. I don't care what a man or a woman believes. I really don't. I really don't care what a person believes, 
But what really bothers me is somebody who shoots their mouth off but don't even know what they believe themselves. That becomes the problem. And I, I found that all of my life. I have people attack me because we believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. One guy, one time, he said, well, you believe the Word of King James Bible is the Word of God? And I said, yeah, I do. And he says, why? He says, why do you believe that? And I talked about the, uh, the family of manuscripts and went down through that. And he's saying, well, you know what? He said, uh, I don't really, he said, I, I, I believe this and believe that. He was laying out that. And I asked him a question. I said, what is the difference between a Greek manuscript and a Greek New Testament? He didn't have a clue. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you claim to know something about the Bible and its history, if you don't know there is a vast difference between a Greek New Testament, uh, a Greek manuscript, and a Greek New Testament, well, you got some learning to do. But people will get up and they'll talk about thinking like they understand the, the issues and can talk about them when they don't even understand the fundamental bottom line to it. We find that in every, every area. You know why there's some people out there, bless their hearts today, that they believe they can lose their salvation? And I feel sorry for people like that. They, I mean, uh, I, I've never understood why a person got so excited and wanted to defend the fact that he's probably going to die and go to hell someday. Losing your salvation, if you know your Bible, is the most incredibly goofy thing you could ever want to believe. There's, eight, there's, there's, there's 12 different functions, doctrines about your salvation in the Bible. You get somebody that says, well, I believe I can lose my salvation. My first question is, list out those 12 for me. They can't. Because if you knew those 12, you'd never believe you could lose your salvation. Tongues is another issue. Why do people get hung up in that? Why do people get hung up on things like that? How about healing? How about healing? We got the new thing now coming out today, you know, that all the great Bible teachers, quote unquote, as far as Christian world, now have all shifted back to Calvinism. The fact that God chose some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. And I look at that and I think to myself, how does a person who absolutely knows any Bible at all ever come to that conclusion? We got people just like back in Johnny Todd's day that thought that uh, Jimmy Carter was the Antichrist. Don't take anything away from that. We got a whole bunch of people out here today that think that Obama's the Antichrist. You see, it never changes. It's just people come and people go. But the goofiness continues. And that's why you, as a child of God, need to understand your Bible. You need to understand your Bible. We had some people come into the church a while back, and, and uh, they liked it for a while, and they come in and talked to me, and I, I you know, wanted to come over, and they came over, and, and all I heard for an hour was how the Illuminati has taken over the world. And Illuminati was everything. You know what I asked them? I asked them, tell me when the Illuminati started. They didn't know when it started, but it's taken over the world. They didn't know anything about it. I asked them what the word Illuminati meant. They didn't know, but they're taking over the world. And my bottom line is, people think it's everybody. People think it's the Illuminati. Somebody else will say, well, it's the Wilderbergs, or it's the Jewish banking system. Everybody has their opinion over what's going on in this world, and this is why most of it has nothing to do with the Bible. And if you really know your Bible, you know that uh, these things are absolutely ridiculous. And uh, you fall victim of every new wind or teaching that comes off the Internet, down the road. Some friend will get it and pass it on to you, and you'll see it, and you'll not know how to deal with the Bible, so it'll make you afraid. And it'll, it'll, somebody sent me an email last week. You know that 
and said, pass it out to all the church people that they're going to plan on your income tax that you're going to have to declare every gun that you got and every gun that you got you have to declare and then they're going to charge you a tax on it and they're going to tax every gun that you got. And it was like, they're the only one in the world that knew that. The NRA didn't know anything about it. Let me tell you something. There ain't nothing goes on in this world the NRA doesn't know about when it deals with your guns. But it's like he got it off the internet. Somebody told him. Somebody put a name on it, and off he goes, you see. And, of course, these are the issues that you, you in life we have to deal with. And we fall victim to them. And most of the times, you know, we don't have any idea of what it's all about and how to deal with it. And that's the problem we find. And that's why, that's how people get into this modern tax mess. That's how people get into these ideas and, and wind up in all kinds of problems way over their head with the IRS and, and, and all kinds of issues. Or, in a simpler form, simply don't know how to talk to somebody who wants to bring it up. In dealing with taxes in your Bible, you, you have a real clear model in your Bible. A real clear model in your Bible. Turn over to Luke chapter 20. And in Luke chapter 20, verse 21 through 26, you couldn't find a clearer model than this. This is exactly what God wants you to know. And we've talked a lot about biblical models. Well, here's one for you. Do you ever notice how when God wrote the four Gospels, you ever notice the men that he picked? I think it's amazing. When he wanted to talk about the deity of his son and wanted to run the genealogy of his son back to God, you know who he picked? He picked John because John is the greatest type of the Christian and John is the one of the 12 who goes all the way and John is an incredible relationship with God. So when God wanted to pick one of the apostles to write one of the four gospels and the one about the deity of his son, he picked John. When he wanted to pick the one that dealt with uh, in uh, uh, Mark, which dealt with our servant, he picked John Mark. And if you want to learn about service, study Mark, because John Mark wrote Mark. You know who John Mark was, don't you? He was the guy that went with Paul on the first missionary trip and then bailed out and went back because he couldn't handle it and then wanted to go the next trip and him and Paul and Barnabas got in a big deal over the thing and God split the thing and they got two missionary trips and, 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 and John Mark was, was, a, was a washout. But later on, God, he got restored and Paul brought him back in and he said, you know what, bring John Mark, he's profitable to me. So you know who he picked to write about Jesus Christ as a servant? A failed servant. Don't you see the implications of that for me and you? I'm a failed servant. You're a failed servant. So when God picked a book that wanted to show his service, he picked a failed servant. Showing you that you and I, as as servants of Christ, we're going to fail. But you know what? Just as John Mark became profitable in time, even though we fail, we become profitable. You know why there's no genealogy in Mark? I mean, you find a genealogy in Matthew, you find a genealogy in Luke, and you find a genealogy in John. You know why you find no one in, in Mark? Because Mark is a servant, and a servant doesn't have a genealogy. Now, when he wanted to write about the physical birth of Christ, when he wanted to write about the physical birth of Christ that dealt with Christ's physical birth, you know who he picked? He picked Luke. You know why he picked Luke? Luke was a medical doctor. And so he gave you the details. You want to know well, at the beginning of life? You want to know when life starts? You want to end the controversy? We could end it this morning if we had the time. 
Yeah, that's another big issue. When does life start? When does life end? What about life support? What about this? What about that? You know what? You don't think the Bible clears that issue up? Well, I'll tell you where he cleared it up. He cleared it up with the birth of his son written by a medical doctor of the day, Luke. And so in, in, in Luke, he's, present, he's presented as the son of man. So his genealogy in Luke goes back through Mary and Joseph. Oh, then we come to Matthew. Matthew's the book that deals with the political kingdom. So you know who he picked for Matthew to write it? Matthew. You know who Matthew was? He's a tax collector. He's a tax collector. Worked for the IRS in Jerusalem. Let's see what Jesus had to say. Luke chapter 20, verse 21 through 26. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. Neither acceptest thou person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Ah, here comes the question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. And they could, now look at verse 26, And they could not take hold of his words, because the people, and they marveled at his answer, and held their peace. Jesus himself sets the standard for paying taxes by saying, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and give unto God what is God's. He himself followed the line of paying taxes. And there wasn't any more corrupt tax system or any more corrupt government world in the Roman Empire at this time. But look at verse 26. And they could not take hold of his words. You know what? That's the problem today. That's the problem today. Here's the real issue with people today found in verse 26. People just can't get a hold of his words. They just can't get their hands wrapped around what the book says. You know, turn over to Amos chapter 8. You know, I hear a lot today about a great famine coming. And they talk about how that you and I are, you know, uh, everybody says, you know, you need to stockpile food. You need to do this. Prices are going up at, at the grocery stores and all the things you got to deal with. And the world food shortage. And uh, you just hear, and that's another controversial issue. And that's something else that you're always faced with. But I want you to understand it from God's perspective. Look at Amos chapter 8. I want to show you that a famine is already here. And the famine that's already here has nothing to do with food and water. That may be coming, but I'll show you the one that you got to really worry about that's already here. And uh, Amos chapter 8, pick it up in verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Watch it. Not a famine of bread or a thirst for water. Here it comes, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. You know why people can't get, their, their, get a hold of God's word today? You know why they couldn't get a hold of the word of God when God told them what they said back there? I'll tell you why. Because they'd already rejected what he said. You know why God's people can't get a, get a hold of the word of God today? They can't get a grasp on how to deal with their government or to deal with the Johnny Todds of life or the Illuminati or their own losing of their salvation or speaking in tongues or healing or some other goofy thing. And they listen to everybody out there and they got to kind of roll the dice of who's right and who's wrong because they have no understanding. They themselves can't get their hands on the word of God. Now, you notice that passage says that the word of God is here. The problem is not in this passage that they can't find it. 
The problem is that they're not hearing it. It's here. And the word of God is here today. God's people just can't hear it. Many of them don't want to hear it. And it's an incredible passage to show you that where we're at today. It's exactly, it's exactly where we're at. Men and women today simply are not able to get a hold of his words. Even though you can go out and get a copy of his Bible and his words, it's the fact that they don't believe it anymore. Now, if that in itself, the fact that Jesus gave you the first aspect and told you that, it was, that he paid taxes, look at Romans chapter 13, verse 6 again. And this is a great lesson for you when you read your Bible. I told the people Thursday night, then in a couple of weeks, on Thursday night, we've got so many new people in the church and so many people that, uh, that, uh, uh, that are trying to figure out their Bibles. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to have a special time on Thursday night where I, I show you how to put notes in your Bible. I'm going to show you how, to, how, to, how a systematic way that will work for you as a young Christian. And, uh, and I'm going to use some of the folks that, that have been around for a while and show you some of their examples. But I want to help you do that because you've got to come to the point in your life at some point where you begin to take the Word of God and get a hold of it. Because that's the only way you've got to do it. I know you folks think that I just memorized the Bible completely all the way through, and that's why I can come to Thursday night Bible study and just lay answer any question, and any time you come over, I seemingly got the answer. You think I just memorized all that stuff. If you knew how stupid I really was and how hard it is for me to remember things and how hard it is for me to uh, put things, what I have simply done is I have, again, I have taken my Bible, and over a process of years, I've developed a system in my Bible that is infallible as far as giving me the answer to what the questions are. Now, why don't I just print off all my notes and give them to you? See, you think that would solve the problem. Like somebody said, I wish you could have your, my, your Bible for a week. Well, I'll rent it to you for $5,000, but at the end of the week, you won't get anything out of it. You know why? There are things to me. You'd be calling me on the phone every 15 minutes, which is not included in your $5,000, and want to know, what's this mean? What's this mean? What is this? I can't read this. You couldn't read my writing. I can't read my writing sometimes. <laughs> but I know my style, see, which is no style, so I can follow along. And, but I'm telling you, I had to develop my own Bible that works for me. Now, we give out wide-margin Bibles. We sell them back there, and just about everybody in our church it, it, is going to have one. I mean, you, my two things in life, you can't go to heaven without a red pencil and you can't go to heaven without a wide margin Bible. And I tell you all the time, the greatest study Bible you ever have is your own. And you learn how to put these things in. Purpose is you build your own Bible, study Bible, that when you get into a scenario, you have everything that you need at your fingertips. And I don't care if you're just a young person just getting into the Bible. Or you're somebody that's been around for a while. I'll show you some good things to do that'll help you put your Bible in a proper format. Because you and me have to be able to get a hold of his words. And uh, it's things like this that I'm going to show you. Look at verse 6. Now we're coming down through here and we're reading down through here and suddenly in verse 6 he he, he starts out your paying taxes section by saying this, for this cause pay ye tribute also. Wow, missed that, didn't we? You know what he just said? When he says, for this cause pay you also tribute also, he just told you that something he just said 
Something he just laid out is the key of why you need to know how to pay, why you pay your taxes. Now, these are the kind of things you need to learn in your Bible. These are the kind of things that the first time through you don't get it. Maybe the first three, two or three years you don't get it. But in time, if somebody shows you and you learn and you start marking these down, these are the things that jump out at you that give you what you need to understand what you need to understand. He's saying that something he already said is the reason we are to pay taxes. And of course, this is why I keep telling you, reading and paying attention to everything that the Word of God says. Now, he says, for this cause. Now, here's the causes, verse 4. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Verse 6 again, which is after verse 4, but it says, For they are God's ministry attending continually upon this very thing. I told you how last week that the name, the word minister or ministry, is not always associated with churches. England has a prime minister. We have foreign ministers. And many times, the kings in the Bible, and I showed you some great examples of some wicked kings, like the king of Babylon and Cyrus and, and uh, Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, how God called them his ministers, how God called them his shepherds. And we saw that these are unsaved, wicked kings that, that died and probably went to hell. But we also saw how that God used the wicked kings and the nations to get his people back to the land. And in that sense, they're God's minister. In that sense, they all work toward the end result, even though they don't believe anything about the Bible. That's the thing you've got to see. Once you understand that they are ministers, and this country, good or bad, any country, good or bad, therefore God's ministry, attending continually upon the very thing, and that they are ministers of God to thee for good. Now, I, I pay taxes, and I told you, I, even if I didn't, uh, didn't have, uh, you know, even if I didn't have to, uh, I wouldn't, but I have to. I mean, I won't be happy about it. It burns me. You know that every Roman Catholic priest in this city, in this country, doesn't pay taxes? There isn't a Roman Catholic priest anywhere in this country that pays uh, any kind of income tax. None. And yet, I'm a minister, and I got to pay it. Some of you are ordained, and you got to pay it. I don't like that. I don't think that's fair. I'll tell you something else. Uh, if you have a Christian school or whatever the case, you can't get a dime from the government. They won't give you anything. And yet, a Catholic school, not only, not only is tax exempt, but a Catholic school gets federal tax dollars uh, to support their school when you and I can't, if we had a Christian school. It isn't fair. I don't like it. But that's beside the point, you see. It burns me, but that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. I, I, pay my, I don't pay my taxes because of the Constitution or because of the Roman Catholic Church getting a free ride or somebody else getting a free ride. You'll never see me get up and say it's unconstitutional. You'll never say it's not fair. Yet I believe all those things. I pay the taxes due to the government because the government requires it of me and God does also because in his setting up of the institution of government, he also shows us how we support those governments and those ministries. And this is what he's meaning when he says, I've already told you so. And already laid it out. You know, it's a Bible fact. God's people have always supported the governmental structure that God provided for them. Remember in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 24, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. The Old Testament structure was the kingdom of heaven run by a, a Levitical priesthood. And it was God's government and God's structure in the Old Testament. And you know what did? God provided that government to be supported by the people. 
It was his religious government. It was his ministry to them. But he required by their tithes and their offerings that that's how their, that ministry got supported in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's the same way today with the church. The church is God's spiritual government today. We took up a little offering a while ago, and I made it very clear that if you're a visitor here or somebody that's scoping out our church and you don't be a member of this church, you don't, you don't have to give anything. We don't look for anything. You know why? Because we understand the Bible says that this is God's government and God's structure. When you are part of this structure, when you're part of this government, when you say, yeah, that's where I'm hanging my hat and that's where I'm going to grow spiritually, at that point, just like in the Old Testament nation of Israel, they supported God's governmental structure with their tithes and offerings. The church does the same thing. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Civil government's no different. If it's God's governmental system, and it is, and they're God's ministers, Romans 13, verse 4, and they are, and it's for God's honor and glory, even though it may not look like it is, and it is, and all things work together for good, the lemon of God, and it does, and these things are ordained of God, Romans chapter 13, verse 4, and it was, then paying taxes is the way that we support this government, just as our ties support the church government, and it's that simple. When the government requires us to pay it, I pay it. You know why? Because Romans chapter 13 says that's how God gets his government structured. We look at the government because we don't know the Bible. We can't get around the Bible and get, our words, get the words. We look at it and say, well, it's wicked. It's evil. The Constitution says nothing about it. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. I agree. The Constitution says absolutely nothing. And it is wicked. But I pay it because in Romans chapter 13, he says it's God's ministry and God's people have always supported God's ministry. That's how it stays in power. You see, we just look at it as the bad aspect. We don't realize that every bad thing in this country, and it comes back to your perspective. You can look at this country and you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as the most debacable, messed up, screwed up. I mean, absolutely out the door. I mean, just absolutely nothing good in it with one end or the other. I mean, the Democrats or the Republicans, there isn't anybody good in the thing. And this system is busted and broke. And you can complain about it. Or you can see it in the light of the Word of God that that's the way it's supposed to be before Jesus Christ comes back. You can look at it, oh, woe is me, I'm in this terrible situation. Or you can say, hot, boy, I'm excited, kids. We're at the front row seat of the end of the world. Let's enjoy it. Your perspective. You see, we've lived so long as God's people without the principles of God in our lives. We don't see God in anything anymore. We just see the bad. We see a country that is ready to, on shaky legs, ready to collapse and fall over. And we think, oh, woe is me. You know why? Because we're worried about how it's going to affect me, my income. My kids, my future, my bank account, my stocks and bonds. And of course, all that has nothing, if you have the right perspective, all that has nothing to do with God taking care of you through it all. But you gotta get, you gotta get his word, you gotta get a hold of his words. You gotta get the right perspective. When a child of God has the right perspective, he may not like it, and he may not be fair. But it's the truth of the word of God that the taxes, just as the tithe, have always absolutely supported God's system. And it has nothing to do with me surviving because Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says that God is going to supply all of my need. You know, it's the same way with your job and your family. All three institutions, the church supported by the members of it, the government supported by the members of that 
people in that country and your family. It's the same way. Your family and you as a, a husband and a wife, that's your ministry. And you have a ministry in this church. But your first ministry is your family. If you're a husband here, your first ministry is your wife. And your second ministry is your children. Or tie them all together, however you want to do it. But the bottom line is simply this. How do you support that ministry? How do you support the fact that you're in this church? I watched some of you last night be missionaries. I told you time and time again that everybody in this church that's saved, you're on the mission field. Now, some of you never will get that. And it's a tragedy. And some of you get ever get it because you got so many problems in your own life. You're just like Greg Dixon. He got so focused on what he was doing with with the anti-tax movement that he just lost his focus. And sometimes we get so focused on what we're into and what we're doing, we lose our focus. But the bottom line is it. If you're saved here this morning, you're a missionary. I watched some of you on your mission field last night. I watched in your devotions. I watched somebody over there and you were sitting in there talking to them and, and uh, I, watched you, I watched you orchestrate your teams that you got people in that maybe weren't even on your team but you set yourself out so they could play because you realized that what I said. Most churches when they have a volleyball league, this is how they take it. We're going to play volleyball and we're going to have a great time and let's get lots of people out to play volleyball and oh yeah, we're going to try to minister to them in the process. My perspective is the other way. We're going to have a great ministry. We're going to minister to some people. We're going to meet new people. We're going to try to influence them for God. And oh, yeah, let's try to find out how to play volleyball. Because you're not volleyball players. You're not even team captains. You're missionaries. Every day you go to work, you're a missionary. Every person you meet in your neighborhood, you're a missionary to them. They may be the only thing that stand between, you may be the only thing that stand between them and heaven and hell. You're a missionary. And once you grasp that perspective and understand that perspective, you realize that your job, the job that God has provided for you, the job that we all take for granted, that's the way that you support your ministry. See, It works on all three systems. All three systems. And uh, it, it, taxes may not be fair, but it's, it's the way it is. He says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God which is God's. Now, we have a group of people out there that call Jehovah Witnesses. And I'm not picking on you. I'm just telling you what's true. I'll show you a way how to deal with Jehovah Witnesses because they'll come to your door sooner or later. And I've dealt with them all my life. But you know Jehovah Witnesses, they don't salute the flag. They have no allegiance to the country. I mean, uh, they, they uh, have absolutely no allegiance to this country. No flag day. You know, no saluting the flag. No national anthem. I mean, uh, no military service. I mean, no holidays at all, no 4th of July, no Christmas, no Easter, no birthday, no Thanksgiving. Boy, it's got to be boring being a Jehovah Witness. And they will beat you over the head because of the fact that you have an American flag on your porch. They will beat you over the head because of the fact that you'll sing the national anthem. And they're absolutely right. Their position is, it's all pagan. Well, I agree it's all pagan. But you know what? If you don't follow along with it, then people are going to think you're like them, and they don't get anywhere in life. But here's how you get them. And I've asked this before. I said, okay, let me ask you that. You don't believe in saluting the flag. You don't believe in government. You don't believe in holidays, Christmas, Easter, birthdays, and all of those things. You wouldn't serve in the military at all, would you? No. In other words, you're pretty much as far anti-government as you ever get, right? Absolutely. This government is pagan, right? So therefore, you have no part of it, right? So you won't partake in anything that it does. Absolutely. Do you pay taxes? 
every one of them pay taxes. Now, to me, that's hypocritical. I nailed one time, and I said, well, you're really a hypocrite. You know how much of your tax dollars you put in, you pay tax. You know 30% of your tax dollars goes against, to the war, the bullets, the bombs, the napalm, the planes, the tanks, the guns, the bombs, and everything that you need that you don't want to support. Why do you do that? If you were really a follower of your convictions, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pay your taxes. You know why he pays taxes? Because he didn't want to go to prison. <laughs> See, it's a conviction, but he's not going to follow it all the way through. Hey, if I believed that paying taxes was wrong, then I would go to jail for not paying taxes. If my conviction is right, the day they say you can't preach the Bible anymore, I will be in prison. You know why? Because I'm going to still preach the Bible because that is my dictate from God and no man can take that from me. If I really believed that, if they really believed that paying taxes was, was a part of the satanic system, and why would you pay that when you won't give allegiance to anything else in it? I'll tell you why. Because you're not honest with your own convictions. Hypocritical because he still pays his taxes because he doesn't want to go to jail, but he wants to take a cheap shot at you and me or the country, see? And that's the way it works. That's the way it works. You have to know why you believe what you believe. Now, we are to pay taxes under, uh, uh, under the Bible principles, and there's no constitution to it. Somebody says, well, what about the waste? What about the corruption? What about all of the misuse of tax money? That's not my problem. My job is to pay it. I already told you, Psalm chapter 9, verse 17, that God judges governments just like he judges individuals. God will bless you for doing what the Word of God says, even if it's a corrupt and they use it wrong, and then God's going to hold them accountable at the great white throne judgment for what they did or what they didn't do. These are the concepts you have to understand. Because people get caught up in it, just like the people with Greg Dixon. And all of those people that caught up in those situations. Getting God's perspective. Your position in all this. You know, I think the greatest single thing that I ever taught this church, and many of you are doing variations of this now, is when we talked about the seven things that changed about you the day that you got saved. In my mind, dealing with people for 35 plus years, the number one problem people have today as Christians is that they don't know, now that they're saved, how they're different than before they were saved. And they just go through their life trying to figure out Christianity and all of the things that they got to deal with, from the government from all the, every wind of doctrine that blows their way, from the things that people tell them, from the things that maybe their family tells them, and everything impacts them. And if you don't understand in your mind, if you don't see yourself from God's perspective, and really, I told you, that's what the book of Romans shows you. The whole book is God's perspective of how you and I are to view things. In chapter 1, he gave us his perspective on the Gentiles. In chapter 2, he gave us his perspective on the nation of Israel. In chapter 3, 4, and 5, he gave us his perspective on the law. In chapter 6, he gave us perspective on the death of the cross. In chapter 7, he gave us his perspective on our flesh. In chapter 8, he gave us the perspective of our new glorified body. In chapter 9 and 10 and 11, he gave us his perspective on the nation of Israel. In chapter, in chapter 12, he gave us a perspective of how we get along with the world. Now we're in chapter 13 and we're getting God's perspective on how we to deal and relate to our government and then we're going to go to chapter 14 and 15 that shows us how we're going to get along with everybody else in the world. 
When you get done with the book of Romans, for you and for me, that's why after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels, then the book of Acts, which lays the foundation of the church, and then in Romans is the next book that shows you what our perspective should be as a church. And every chapter. Most of my job as a pastor is basically two things. When I, what I need to always do in my life, and I try to do it every time I can, uh, and it's something I keep before me all the time. And I'm human just like anybody else, but I never try to forget. And I always try to see you not in your problems. Because if you start looking at the problems people have, you're going to get sandbagged. I never look at anybody that comes into that door with problems in their life. Maybe it's marital problems. Maybe it's some individual problem. Maybe it's something that just, to them, it's big deal. I look at it and I say, we can fix this in no time. But I never look at people, I never look at people and look at them in their situations. I always look at people from the aspect of the victory that God has for them. Because I've got to give people hope. If I didn't see you the way God sees you and understand the principles and realize that the situation you're in, maybe today, you're simply because you've never gotten a hold of his word. And God could change your whole situation just like that. I'm not going to tell you that all your problems will be over tomorrow. I'm not going to tell you that there won't be a process you've got to work it through. But when people come in and see me and they sit in my office, one thing I always try to leave them with. Maybe they won't do it. Maybe they won't take it. But the one thing I try to leave them with is an exit plan that will give them everything they need to fix their problem. You may come in with no hope. I want you to leave with all the hope that's in that book. Had a couple last week come over and they talked to me and at the end of the thing they said, you know what, we've laid out our situation, we've laid out our problem. Is there anything that we can do? And I said, you know what, that's never the question. There's always something you can do. The question is, will you do what you need to do? I never see people in their problems. I see people with a victory of God in their life and the finished product that everybody in this room or anybody I ever met could be for God if they would just let God do it. You know what the second thing I have to do? Get you to see that. It's one thing if I see it, but you got to see it. You got to see yourself from God's standpoint. You got to see what changed about you so you can get God's perspective. Getting to the place where you see yourself as God sees you from his perspective. Once you do that, then you'll see in time everything from God's perspective. And you'll see that the fact that what it talks about when it says that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, old things are passed away, all things become new. See, I believe this. The single greatest thing I'll ever give you about working with people, the single greatest piece of advice I'll ever give you no matter where you're at in your life. Maybe your marriage this morning, maybe your own personal life, maybe your own struggles with something. The greatest piece of information and advice I can ever give you that I use it basis for everything I do is simply this. You cannot solve, listen to me now, you cannot solve whatever problem, listen to me, whatever problems you may have in your life, you cannot solve those problems with the same thinking that got you into those problems. You have to see yourself as a different person. You have to see yourself from that standpoint. This is why so many, and I, you've heard me say this before, I think the greatest prog- two of the great programs that help men 
and women or Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. And I put what I'm about to say, I'm not fighting at all. I've sent people into those. I've, I've been through those programs myself, so I would have an understanding of what I'm talking about because I'm like everybody else. I hold myself to the same accountability. I don't want to get up here and talk about it if I haven't been through it myself. So I went through my AA program. I went through my NA program. I, and I've never drank or I've never taken drugs. I went through it because of the fact that I wanted to learn how those systems worked so I could better help people that were in them. And I only found one fatal flaw, but it is a fatal flaw. And that fatal flaw is simply this. And both Alcoholics Anonymous and, and Narcotics Anonymous, they both follow this same reasoning. You're always going to be an alcoholic. You're always going to be a drug addict. And you may have been clean or not had any booze for 30 years, but you get up in every meeting and you say, I'm a recovering alcoholic, or I am an alcoholic, or I'm a drug abuser. You never in those organizations get past the point, and I understand why they do it. They want to keep it before them so they don't fall off the wagon. So it's a continual lifestyle of admitting every day, I'm a drunk, I'm this, I'm a dope addict, I'm this. And thereby, by dealing with it every day, keeping from it. Well, I got a better solution than that because this is where I have the problem because the Bible says that if you're a drunk this morning or you're a drug abuser this morning and you get on your knees and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. All things become new. You go down on your knees as a drunk and you stand up as a new creature. You go down on your knees as a drug addict and you stand up as a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. See, that's the Bible principles. And that's what you have to follow and understand. You cannot solve problems in your life by the same thinking that caused those problems. You have to get to the place where you see yourself. I I deal with a lot of people, and I see a lot of people all their lives have been beat up by other people. I've known people that their parents told them they were no good. Their, their friends told them they're no good. And maybe they, they couldn't keep up on an athletic par, or they couldn't keep up on an academic par, or maybe they just couldn't grasp things the way their father wanted them to do it, or their mother wanted to do them. So all of their life, they heard how stupid they were. All their life, they heard how they were never going to amount to anything. All their life, they're gonna, they've heard how that they were worthless, that they're never going to go anything in life. And you know what? You hear that 8 or 9 or 10 or 12 years, and you know what happens? You believe that. And so you become an adult and you think that you're worthless. You think that you can't really do anything. And so when you get saved, even though you're not that person anymore, you still have those old thinking patterns that way. And that's what you have to change. You have to see that no matter what struggles you were before you got saved, when you got saved, now you have the Holy Spirit of God that you can do everything in your life. Now you have the Holy Spirit of God that you can do whatever God wants you to do. And it all comes about the path to seeing yourself differently and getting to the point where you think about things differently is simply understanding the concepts uh, to see who you are in Christ. And I'm telling you, this is what it leads to of getting into the book of Romans, understanding everything about the way God sees it. I'm not just talking about the government. I'm not just talking about the things out there that we have to face. It starts with you seeing who you are first. If I can get you to understand who you are in Christ Jesus and see the value that you have to God and get that perspective in your life first, then I can get you, I can get you to the point where you can just about do anything for God and because you'll have the perspective. 
You know those seven things that I would talk about. It talks about how that your soul changed the day you got saved. It talks about how that your affections changed the day you got saved. It talks about how your citizenship changed the day you got saved. It talks about now how that you're seated in heavenly places, how that changed. It talks about your attitude changing. It talks about your job changing. Now you're an ambassador to Christ. And then it talks about your conversation changing. And conversation in your King James Bible is is lifestyle. Because the King James translators knew that no matter what anybody says, you live or you talk what you really walk. And so it's an incredible thing. But the thing you've got to realize that all these things are inward. All these things are inward. My job in teaching you the Bible principles and bringing you through the book of Romans to the degree that we've come through and giving you everything that you need to know is to help you form the right perspectives. And you begin to come through those things and you begin to see that all of these things are inward. Each one of these things are forming a new you. Each one of these things will form a new perspective. Most of God's people, bless their hearts, they go through their whole lives and they never see nor do they understand the great truths. These seven inward changes will provide seven outward changes. Because whatever you change inwardly will affect what you do outwardly. If you don't get the Bible principles inwardly, you know what's going to happen? Outwardly, you're going to become a modern tax movement. You're going to become one of the, one of the guys that, to get off the track with whatever it is that's not right about the Bible. You get the right things inwardly, and it'll produce the right things outwardly. And this is my goal for every one of you. This is what I want more than anything else in life. Because this is where the real aspect of ministry comes in. I, don't, I want you to know everything about the Bible. I want you to know every circumstance and situation. I watched you last night and I watched some of you out there working with your people, opening up your Bibles. I watched you before the game, during the game, and after the game. I watched you over at the Jason Deli. I watched you be on the mission field and talking with people. And that's why you need to understand these great principles of how that, that people need to understand all the aspects. But you have to understand them first. And when these seven things are realized in your life inwardly, they produce seven changes outwardly. And now you're ready to be used of God. Hey, whatever you are on the outside, good or bad, will just be in direct reference to what you are on the inside. And when you outwardly change, when you inwardly change, then the seven things outwardly. You know what the first thing that changes? Is what exactly what we're talking about today. Your perspective changes. Now you view things Life, your husband, your wife, your family, your history, your job, your government, the world you live in, your friends, the places you go, the things that you do, the things that you invest your time in, the thing that you once and held important. Uh, now your whole value system changes. You know how you see this? And I have people ask me this all the time. I have people that come over and they'll talk with me or we'll talk about things in general, you know, and they're working with people, especially with people at work, and they'll say to me this, you know, I got this person I work with at work and, and, and you know, 
he, they, she or she laid this thing out, and I, I tried to answer that thing, and, he, and they said to me, you know what, how does anybody ever believe that? How does how somebody just so blindly believe that, that they actually think that way? And I always tell them, I said, hey, 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 wait a minute. You have something that they don't have. You have a perspective on life because you understand the Bible. They have no perspective on life. They have no Bible. You know how people get weird, cockeyed ideas about life, people, relationships, marriage, friends, family, husbands, wife, the whole nine yards? It's because they have no true perspective. So when they come in with you, they're going to have some of the weirdest, goofiest things you ever saw in your life. And you're going to scratch your head and say, why can't they understand that the way I do? Because they don't have your perspective. That's why. Because my point is this, when you get these seven things inwardly, they'll change your outward seven. And the first thing that changes, you don't look at things the same way anymore. You don't look at things the same way anymore. Some of you have been saved for just a short time, a couple of months. And you know what? It's already so evident that you don't look at the things now the way you did. Because your perspective changes. That's not all. Your purpose changes. Once those seven things work into your life inwardly, they step out and they change your life outwardly. And your purpose changes. Now you recognize that God has a job for you. You've, you've realized God's will inwardly, and now God's plan is realized outwardly. Your whole life now is centered around a new purpose. You know, do you know why I'm the way I am? A lot of people don't like the way I am. But you know why I'm the way I am? In a basic fundamental deal, 35 plus years ago, I got saved. And you know what my problem is? I've never gotten over it. I've never gotten over it. And some of you have been saved and you've gotten over it. And if there's anything I've learned in life, that people who have gotten saved and gotten over it don't like people who have gotten saved and haven't gotten over it. But I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to get over it just to make you happy. In fact, somebody said, well, I'll pray for you. Pray for me that I get worse. I hope I never get over it. You know why? Because in my life, I can't speak for you. This is my own personal testimony. And I'm not perfect. I've made a lot of dumb bozo things in life. But I was changed the day I got saved. And I'm telling you, something is different now for me, and I've just never gotten over it. My perception is different. My, my purpose is different. And yet, you know me, I'm the funnest guy to be with in life. I laugh, we tell jokes, we have fun, we do fun things, we do goofy things. We get into some incredible things that we laugh and we have fun. It is the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the funnest guy you ever hang out with. But my purpose is different. My purpose is different because I realize just when I look at the government and I look at the secular government and I see a corrupt system and I see a system that is completely upside down and yet I see God taking that system and using it as his minister for my good to bring about the second coming of Christ. And I see the church on the other spectrum who is God's church and God using them in a good sense to bring about the second coming of Christ. 
then I realize that my purpose, no matter what I do, the good times that I have, whether it's at a hockey game, whether it's at a football game, whether it's watching you race, whether it's going out and watching somebody do this, or coming to your kid's birthday, or playing volleyball last night, I realize that my purpose now is not what I'm doing, but my missionary endeavor within what I'm doing. Some of you are getting it. Some of you are getting it. Some of you are getting it. I watched it last night. I was moved last night. You know, a pastor puts a lot of heart, sweat, and tears into what he does. A good pastor, anyhow. And, 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 and I and try to endeavor to do that. I try to invest in people's lives. And there's a lot of crap that goes on in the ministry, and it's just part of the detail. But you know what overrides all of that? Seeing in your life, God make the difference. Seeing in your life, you finally grasping the principles because you understand what changed inwardly, and now I see it changing outwardly. Your perspective changes, your purpose changes, and your passion changes. Simply put, the mission is now crystal clear in your life. Nothing or no one gets in your way. Everything within life is now there for you to accomplish the mission that God has called you to do and God has saved you for. And first, simply put, uh, you know, you begin to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. And you just generally want to understand, and you get a crystal clear to clarity now. You know, I look at, for years and years and years, and I've never been much of a photographer, but I used to, I used to, I, somebody gave me a camera years ago, and it was the first, one of the first cameras that, you know, usually you had to manly, manual, manual focus it, you know, but this one was the first one that had the, had the, uh, uh, instant focus, you just, you push the button halfway down to the all the way. It took me a while to figure it out. You know, I was taking pictures of my hand and everything, you know, because I couldn't grip. But once I got it down, it was the neatest thing I ever saw in my life. I could put a picture, look at something, and you'd be out of focus, and i just touch that button, and zip, you'd come right into focus. And not quickly, put it out of focus again. No, I'm just kidding. You'd snap right into focus. And that was a neat thing. And I thought to myself years later, you know, that's exactly what the Bible does. When you come in here, for many of you, life's out of focus. Your marriage is out of focus. Your own personal walk with God is out of focus. And what the Bible does for you is give you an instant focus. It's just like pushing a button halfway down and suddenly in just a short time of your life, zip, everything comes into focus. And you now see what God wants you to do clearly. And your passion is given to that. We only have so much energy to give to God. only have so much passion we can give to God. Many of us, many times, spend our passion every place else but where what it needs to be. And our passion changes. And then our patience changes, doesn't it? Now you understand that everything is in God's timing. You know, I, I, and I'll be the first to tell you, and some of you know me, have been around with me for a long time, I used to be very impatient. The older I've gotten in the Lord and the more I've done things and the more I've seen God and got to know God and the way he does things, the less in the hurry I am. I realized that everything works in God's timing. And I realized that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, it, God is going to work it out. It, it just takes time sometimes. I think some of the problems that some of God's people have in working with people that is they're not patient enough with them. And, uh, you know, you know, that, you, know uh, you, you know that you have to learn to wait on God. And in dealing with people, I'll be honest with you, dealing with people takes incredible patience. There's some people who are just... Snap right into it, and boy, they are great. Other people, takes a while. And so many times we get impatient that we, we think, well, if you don't do it quicker than this, 
that, you know what, then I'm not going to work with you anymore, or you're no good, or you're no that. Let me tell you something. That's just simply not true. You know how you get patience in dealing with people? I'll tell you, the greatest way you get patience in dealing with people, you get patience in dealing with people by understanding how much patience God has dealing with you. That's how you do it. Every time I would catch myself getting impatient with somebody, God tapped me on the shoulder and he said, you know what? I put up with you for a lot longer than that. Now, why can't you put up with them? See, you learn by that. It's like forgiveness. How in the world, when you understand how God forgave you, do you not forgive anybody? It's, it's, it's just, it's part of the process of you, you, your patience changes. And I know the Bible says in the book of James, the trying of your faith worketh patience. And I understand that. Dealing with people, I'll tell you, the greatest way you get patience in dealing with people, you get patience in dealing with people by understanding how much patience God has dealing with you. That's how you do it. Every time I would catch myself getting impatient with somebody, God tapped me on the shoulder and he said, you know what? I put up with you for a lot longer than that. Now, why can't you put up with them? See, you learn by that. It's like forgiveness. How in the world, when you understand how God forgave you, do you not forgive anybody? It's, it's, it's just, it's part of the process of you, you, your patience changes. And I know the Bible says in the book of James, the trying of your faith worketh patience. And I understand that. But you know what the reality of that passage is, don't you? It means that when you get into a bad situation, God has patience with you. And once you come through it, then you realize and never forget. When you work with people, you've got to have patience with them. These are the things that change outwardly. They give you the right perspective. And then, you know the next thing that changed? Your perspective changes, <clears throat> your purpose changes, <clears throat> your passion changes, your patience changes, and the inner man of you changes. Now you know who you are. Now, unlike all of your past life, what people say or think about you doesn't really matter. You know where you're at with God and nothing is ever going to shake that. You know what? You're going to realize that people will always have their opinion of you just like they do with me, and it'll be good or it'll be bad. And many times we allow our day to be influenced by what people think of us. Let me give you a bit of advice. If you're doing what God wants you to do, and you're right with God, and you're carrying out what God has called you to do, the only opinion you need to worry about in life is His opinion of you. Because opinions will make you or break you. I've seen people come in and one person would say something the wrong way and it would just deflate that person. And you know what? When you get the inward things, the outward things, and the thing outwardly that shows is the fact that you inwardly now know who you are in Christ and people's opinion doesn't matter. I've learned anything over the years. just the fact that what people think about me doesn't change with what God does with me. He still blesses me. He still gives me people saved. I still have a church. I still have the Bible. I still have all the blessings that go along with it. And I'm telling you something. In your life, it is the exact same way. But it doesn't happen until you get it inwardly and then outwardly. And you know what happens when you get the inward man? Then the outward man changes. Now, nah, here it comes. Now you have the confidence to do what you need to do. Confidence is an incredible thing and a very important thing. And, uh, you know, you, you, you have to realize that there has to be a boldness in what you do. I've watched some of you guys down at the mission. 
I've watched William. I've watched you. I've watched you. I've watched some of you gals come to the place where, you know what, when you came in and the first time you did things, you did good. And you had the courage to get up and do it. But you know what you lacked? You lacked confidence. Because confidence is the thing that, that puts aside the fear of doing not right or not whatever and, and just lets you focus on doing what God wants you to do. Confidence is an incredible thing. And I watched William last night. Um, he's, he's the captain of my volleyball team that I'm on. And I watched William. And I watched him. You know, and William is a great kid. And you don't have to look a long time to find somebody with a better heart than William. I know when William's going to do the job, it's going to get done. And, uh, and I, and I, but when William first came in, you know what? He was kind of rambled in what he said. He, he knew what he wanted to say. And he had his heart as pure as gold. But he wasn't always able to put his thoughts in a, in a chainable order that, that he went to. But you know what William's got? He's got confidence now. He's got confidence I watched him last night, and he walked, he, you know, and I watch how a guy handles himself, you know. If you're speaking to somebody, and you're looking down, you know, you got your hands in your pockets, and, and you're looking around, you know, and, you're, and you're just, you can't eyeball contact with them, that's a lack of confidence. And I watched him last night step into that arena, man, and I know what that feeling, he stepped right into it, man, and he just, he just laid that thing out, and he walked that thing through, and he looked him in the eye when he talked to him. I watched you the last time you gave your testimony. I can't wait to hear you tonight preach because I know what it'll be. Well, I'm really setting you up. You screw up tonight, you're in trouble. <laughs> you had a confidence, Zach. You had a confidence. I watched you the last time you preached. And you know what done your confidence? Up there with them kids teaching the Word of God because it draws it out of you, see? And you get a confidence level about you that you can you stand up there and you you're, it's, not, it's not like... I'm telling you this, I hope you like it. It's I'm telling you this because it's true, and I don't really care if you like it or not. You don't say that, but you say that by your confidence. See? That comes because of the inward change, knowing who you are. Your perspective changes, your purpose changes, your passion changes, your patience changes, the inner man changes, the outer man changes. And it's all because the end of man has changed. Now, the longer you live, the longer you walk with God, the greater two concepts will burn into your soul. It'll drive you. It'll keep you. It'll make you. It'll keep your heart one with his heart. And that is simply, you'll always now understand your end as a man or a woman was changed. And you'll never forget what God saved you from. You'll never forget what God saved you from. And you'll never forget the price that God paid for you to have it. You know, we always have, we, we've all seen spoiled children. And uh, it's very obvious that when there's a spoiled child, sometimes you see the results when they're little kids, sometimes you see the results when they grow up. But spoiled children are always the same. Life centers around them. They're always the first one to complain when they don't get their way. They're always thinking that they're the most important thing in it and that they don't really care about anybody else's feelings in it. It's basically what they want. And you know what? Spoiled Christians are the same way. And spoiled Christians come to this place and, you know, every church has them. We have very few of them. But every church has them. 
And spoiled Christians come from the fact that uh, we, we don't, we, the inward things hasn't changed, so the outward things haven't changed, so we go through our whole life not ever understanding the price that was paid for your salvation. When you realize what God has saved you from, then you'll realize the second great thing, and that is your life is now in, in whatever you do, and wherever you go, your life will affect somebody else, either negative or positive, for their eternity. You see, once you realize how it affected your end, it's, every person you look at, you realize is also going to have an end. Romans chapter 14, verse 7 says, No man liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. There's always somebody watching our lives. They watch everything that we do. You know what? There's hardly any place you can go today that there isn't a security camera watching what you're doing. In fact, I wonder what this thing is up here. <laughs> but you know what? Take that same concept and put it in your life at work, whatever you do in your life, wherever you go, and the people you're with. You'll have a thousand little cameras watching you, especially if they know you're a Christian. Because they've heard you're a Christian, and they heard that because you got saved, the end of man has changed in your life, and you're going to heaven, and they want to see if it's real. And that's how this thing works. When you get the seven things inwardly that we put so much emphasis on around here, these seven things change outwardly, and your life will never be the same. Now, this is why what the book of Romans does and you and I only have so much energy for God and only so much time to give. And that's why everything in Romans, from the aspect of Romans chapter 13 of viewing our government, and now you understand why, why we pay taxes. When somebody asks you down the line and you need to put those notes in your Bible at some point, at least put them in your notebook, uh, did you get it condensed down at some point in time? Somebody's going to ask you. And now you need to know. You see, Romans 13 is just as important as Romans chapter 14 and 15. Because we live in this world. And the thing that you don't want to happen to you is what happened to so many other people is they get caught up in some goofy movement. Something that has nothing to do with God or the Word of God in any way, shape, or form. Simply because we did not have the right perspective, in this case, about our government. Because you're going to hear everything in the world out there. My goal for you is in the course of my time, on my shift, on my watch, before somebody else takes this thing over. My job is to leave behind me men and women who understand totally every perspective of what life on planet Earth is all about. That you will never get caught, that this church, after I'm gone, will never run the risk of getting caught into a scenario with somebody like Johnny Todd coming in, somebody like a Greg Dixon, somebody that wants to steer this course, uh, church off course the wrong way, that there'll be men and women in this church that know that Bible and know what it means and know what it says. Because the foundation of this church has to be the Bible doctrine, and the Bible doctrine is simply going to be the perspective that we have. We're either going to have God's perspective from God's book, or we're going to have a Christian perspective from everybody else's opinion. This church has to be based on the Word of God, and it's only based on the Word of God as your individual lives are based on the Word of God. And that's what we have to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Well, Father, we do thank you today, and we thank you for the time that we've, we've spent in your Word. And Lord, there's, there's so much in the book of Romans and so many different perspectives that we need to have. But help us see today, Father, that this wasn't just a letter 
uh, a message today about paying taxes. It was a message today about having the perspective of why we do what we do in the world that we live in. Going to the Bible to find out God's viewpoint. And then coming to the place that we understand that the only thing that's going to preserve us as individuals and the only thing that's going to preserve us as a church is getting your perspective. Helping these men and women as they come in and we get to work with them and they, 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 they get a Bible and they fall in love with God and they want to do what's right. Helping them cha- understand what changed about them inwardly first and then let the Holy Spirit of God change outwardly about them what needed to be changed. Thank you, Father. We love you. Thank you for those that have come out today and we pray, Father, you'll give them a safe trip home. Please take care of our kids down in in Warrensburg and, and, and take care of them and, and bring them home safe and bless the mission tonight and, and the church history class and all that we've got to do this week. Thank you for last night and our volleyball and Lord, most of all, thank you for what you showed me last night. These young men and these young ladies out there as missionaries, reaching out, touching people's lives. Lord, the change that has not only taken place inwardly, but has taken place outwardly. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Be careful going home today. See you tonight.